Brilliant. Thank you, Paul and Julie. Um, you'll notice this morning that there's been relatively little talk of the rugby yesterday in the World Cup final. You'll also, you'll also notice that um, a certain South African on the team has not been let anywhere near the microphone as well. <laughs> um, those two things are not linked at all, just in case you're wondering um, why that is. Um, so as um, Paul says, we're in a, a series um, on more prayer. Last week we took a break um, from the series. This week we pick it up again and we're explore, exploring the theme of more goodness and more faith. Uh, just as we kick off, just by a show of hands, did anyone here, when you were younger, were you told um, by parents or someone else, don't hang around with, with those kids? You're not to hang around with those. Was that, by a show of hands, anyone? Okay, hands up. Okay, let's nice, nice and high. Let's have a little look, look around. Okay, and then um, hands down, uh, just so we're, we're clear as well, those who didn't put your hands up, you are those kids that we're not allowed <laughs> to hang around with. Um, so why, why do we do that? Why, why do we say you shouldn't hang around uh, with these kind of people? Because we know the more you spend time with certain people, more, more those actions and habits will rub off on us. You can tell, can't you, when you spend time with certain friends, you start talking like them, acting like them. You can even see it with, um, with, with pets and their owners. They start kind of acting similar or look similar in some ways. Um, this morning, we're looking at how, as we spend more time with Jesus, we act more like him and we see more goodness and more faith as a natural fruit of our lives. It's a, a byproduct. This isn't a, a forced action but something we are to be intentional in. The author David Murray says this, keep your eyes on Jesus, read about him, believe in him, talk to him, listen to him and praise him. No one can look to Jesus and not begin to look like Jesus. Let me say that again, no one can look to Jesus and not begin to look like Jesus. Think like Jesus, act like Jesus, and even feel joy like Jesus. And so this morning, my encouragement as we look to this theme is that we are to live lives characterized by more goodness and more faith. But this isn't a, a task for us to be ticked off a list or something we strive to attain. Rather, it's about an overflow of a life lived with Jesus. Um, I love it, uh, the, the verse in Matthew 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And it's that phrase, let your light shine. This is not a, a force it to shine. There's something very natural about this, and that's why I want us to, to come through this morning. If we live in relationship with God, our lives will be characterized by more goodness and more faith. It's a natural byproduct of a life lived with our eyes fixed on him. So let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, in the, the Bibles in the pockets in front of you, we're at page 1189, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, and as you know, um, we as preachers like to get um, very stuck in in terms of our, our, um, our research and making sure that we're well prepared in preparation for this, I actually was in Thessalonica yesterday. Um, unfortunately, I was only there for two hours, um, and I only saw the airport. So um, I'm not sure how much help that's going to bring to this text. Uh, I don't know how much time Paul spent in the airport. Um, but hopefully something will have rubbed off um, while I was there for a couple of hours. But what I can tell you about this as we come to this passage in, in 2 Thessalonians, 
was that the church in Thessalonica was suffering from opposition, um, but it was bearing it steadfastly. In, in verse 3, Paul encourages them because their faith is growing and their love is increasing. And this is an encouragement for us as well, knowing that in challenging times, and you may be walking through a challenging time today, we have the opportunity to grow, and it's in these times that we grow most as we cling on to Jesus and hold firm to his truth. Paul is constantly praying for his church, and let's look at what he prays. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're just going to read verse 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your, uh, your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you call us to know you. We thank you that you call us into relationship with you and that we can know you uh, in the good times and in the challenging times. Uh, and we pray that today that we would see light shining out of us as we spend time with you. Uh, we pray for your grace to be upon us and for your word to speak truth, uh, powerfully into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we come to this passage, um, we see that Paul wants this church to be growing further in goodness and faith. But the first part of his prayer is about our foundation. Um, we see he, he prays our God, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. What, what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean? In what sense can we be worthy of his calling? Is Paul saying that we need to be living a life of goodness and faith so that we can be acceptable before God? Is there some kind of entrance exam or an acceptable standard that we need to reach to be deemed worthy of this calling? And if it is, what if there's a retest? I don't know if you, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm not going um, and studying for GCSEs or uh, university again, because I think going, looking back, I'm not sure I could pass those exams, helping kids with their homework. I'm very glad that I don't have to be ta uh, taking those exams, um, except maybe quadratic formulas, which I really enjoy. Um, those are things I could do fine. But otherwise, when we go back and, and, and look at those things, we think, how on earth did I ever um, pass those tests and exams? And we could be thinking it's similar for us in terms of our walk and our life with Jesus. What if there are spot checks for the last 24 hours, looking at how, what our goodness and faith has been like? I wonder how we would measure up. But Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is clear, we are saved by grace and not works, so that no one can boast. We are saved when we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. When we look to what Jesus has done, that though he in very nature God, from the beginning of time in perfect relationship with God the Father, he chose to humble himself and come as a baby to this earth. Not only this, but Jesus lived the perfect life among us and gave his life for us in the most horrendous death, separated from the Father. And having taken our punishment on the cross, he rose victorious and defeated the power of sin and death. This 
means that we are worthy of the calling because of what Jesus has done, that he has attained the standard that we can never reach or maintain, and we are to live in the good of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it might be new to you this morning because the gospel is good news to be announced. It's not good works to be done or to to be achieved. It's all about what Jesus has done, what he has achieved. And we are to feel the peace of this. Like when we, that exam is done, we know that it, it's finished, we've got the results, we don't need to think about the, the, the studying and the revision any, anymore. Just think of the, the peace that comes as a result of that. We're to know peace because we don't need to strive. But we are also to live in a manner worthy of the gospel that we have received. And to know that living in goodness of faith follows after acceptance and not before. Living in goodness and faith follow after acceptance and not before. Think for a moment of the parable of, of the lost son. The son asks for his inheritance. He comes to his father. And in, in the act of, of asking for inheritance, he's saying, it's as good as saying to his dad, I, I wish you were dead. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want the money. I just want what is, is mine. And so the son goes off, spends it, spends it all, and, and realizes he's made a huge mistake. As soon as that son comes back, the father sees him, runs to him, embraces him. He puts a robe on him. He didn't put him to work and then wait to see whether his son was worthy. Now he was clothed with all the honor of sonship as soon as he came back. And in the same way, we are accepted and live in the good of, the re- of relationship and resources of the father as soon as we turn to him. Not after we've got um, five years good service or ten years good service. We're to know the love of the Father immediately as we respond to him and turn to him. We don't need to wear ourselves out trying to live right and gain approval because realistically we can't do it. However, how we live is to change a result of what we experience. Ephesians 2 we read, not by works so that no one can boast. But Paul goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is praying for the Thessalonians that God will make them worthy of his calling. As we've seen, it's not about earning merit, but rather living in a way that befits the call that we have. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul at this time was in prison. He couldn't go out. He couldn't do anything to prove his worth. He couldn't go and do mighty deeds. But he could live in a, a way worthy of the calling where he was and pray for others to do the same. The, pa- pa- uh, the pa- pastor John Piper gives this example. Suppose you redecorate a spare room in your house because you want to honor a special guest who is coming to stay. You paint the dingy walls, you buy a new bedspread, you polish the woodwork, and then you stand back to see if the room is worthy of your guest's presence. What John Piper doesn't say here is you spend (coughs) hours, weeks, days agonizing about the uh, right paint color uh, and whether it's exactly right or not and how all the things um, go together. Um, So you stand back and see if the room is worthy of your guest's presence and the old lampshade sticks out like a sore thumb. It's dirty and torn and doesn't match the paint. It's out of place, unfitting, improper, and in that sense, unworthy of the room and the guest. 
Not that the room deserves the guest, but the guest deserves the room. So you resolve to get rid of it. Why? So that the room would be worthy of its destiny. The guest is coming. Well, that is the first motive for seeking God's power to fulfill the good resolves in our own lives too. There is a sense of harmony and fitness that we enjoy when we resolve to get the dirty, torn shades out of our lives. God has begun a redecorating project on you and there are things that are just plain unfitting and unworthy of your new calling. So seek God's power to fulfill the results, to get rid of unfitness and inappropriateness in your heart. We should seek God's power to fill res- results for good because in this way, God makes us worthy of our calling to glory. He makes our lives suitable for this destiny. Well, that's a, a wonderful example for us of, of how we are to live. And um, for us, not that the room deserves the guest, but that the guest deserves the room. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, we are to live in a way that um, responds to that. And we are not to be those who are just trying harder, but rather we are to be trusting more and having our lives characterized by more goodness and more faith. There's to be a change about us, but this is out of an overflow of a life lived with Jesus and enjoying him. Let's uh, move on in um, Paul's prayer and look at this theme of, of more goodness. <clears throat> in verse 11, Paul prays that God would, by his power, bring to fruition every desire for goodness. By his power, bring to fruition every desire for goodness. We love for Gateway to be overflowing with goodness. And the root of this is in the very nature of God. He is good and he makes everything good. We are made in his image to do good. It's in our design and call. It's in our, our, our nature. We've, as we've all already noted, we do all fall short. We struggle to always do good. We, we sin, we rebel against God. We don't match up to the standards. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we exchange our sin for his righteousness. Let's take a moment to explore this further. Can you turn with me um, to Colossians chapter 3, uh, just a few pages back, 1184. Colossians 3 and verse 2 <clears throat> says this, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just pause there for a moment. We're going to read it a, a little bit more later on. But this is a, a reminder of our foundation for more goodness. We are in Christ. We are counted as worthy. And we're to now put to death those things that used to characterize us, such as, let's read on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let's pause again for a moment. As we read through that, some of these things may sound familiar to us. Impurity, greed, anger, lies. And we think, are, are, we, are we really worthy? Are we living in a way worthy of this calling? 
The Freeman Christ course helpfully speaks about our identity, how we're no longer sinners, but saints. We are made holy in Christ. It says that we are saints who sometimes sin. So that we, we are to live in the reality. There are times when we, we do sin, just look ourselves. We can't deny that. But this does not define us. And we're not to live in these ways anymore. We're to live in goodness. As Paul continues, this is not who we are. We're in Christ and we're to clothe ourselves differently. Verse 12 to 14, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We live in goodness by displaying compassion to those in need, kindness to those who are hostile to us, by living with humility, gentleness, peace, forgiveness, love, and unity. This is the more goodness that we are after, that only comes when we know who we are in Christ and make the choice to live each day with him. Because God is, is after our hearts. And this is what will bring about genuine change. Uh, we talk about this often in, in parenting of, of our kids, of how we're after their hearts, not just an outward compliance. We don't want kids just to legalistically obey, but want their hearts to be changed. And so for us, we're not looking for just good outward morals to be appearing to be okay, but rather a desire that shows something has changed within us, that we're walking in step with the Spirit. Because it's obvious to, to people around when your heart isn't in something. You just look at the um, away fan in the home end uh, a football match, and you can tell when the goal goes in, they're not really standing up and cheering with joy. Their heart isn't in it. When God is at work in us, we are fundamentally changed. So I wonder this morning, where, where is your heart? Paul in our passage says there needs to be a desire for, for goodness. Is that within us? Um, Greek mythology gives us two examples of trying to, to do good. The first is that of Ulysses. He and his crew were on a long and dangerous journey. On the way, they sailed by an island where the sirens lived. Now, sirens are beautiful-bodied, sweet-voiced temptresses who lure passers-by with their songs. The sailors are lulled onto the island, and they crash their boats on hidden rocks beneath the surface. When they do, the sirens destroy them. Now, Ulysses was sailing past this island, and he came up with a plan to make sure that he didn't succumb. <coughs> His response was to be tied to the mast of the ship, so he, he couldn't move. And as they sail by, he is lured by the songs and wants to go closer to the island. But he is restrained. He can't follow his urge. Jason, however, had another approach to the siren's island, also sailing by. Instead of resisting the siren's songs by restraint, he introduced a better song. He had Orpheus play beautiful music which overshadowed the songs of the sirens and the boats sailed by without incident. It's true that, that both of these men avoided the pitfalls of temptation. One focused on restraining his urges. The other fixed their gaze on something greater. 
When we do good, it's because we've said yes to something better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. We've said yes to delighting in our Father in a way that pleases Him. We've said yes to demonstrating compassion and living in purity for the glory of God and for His pleasure, for the one who's called us out of darkness and into light. And there are many temptations that are around us that can challenge us to live a life characterized by goodness, but in all of these difficulties, all these challenges, we can look to him and we can enjoy him day by day. 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says, we're to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus said all the commandments can be summed up these phrases of loving God and loving others. And we can try to overcomplicate it by adding in loads of other things that we're to do in, in trying doing good. But each day we can think, is what I'm doing focusing on loving God and loving others? Are we enjoying him each day? Because more goodness is about relation, right relationship with God, living with a heart devotion to him. It's about right relationship with others and seeing God's kingdom come and him to be honored above all. So I'm praying to see more goodness. We're also praying to see more faith. This is um, what Paul goes on to say in, um, uh, in our verse, in verse um, 11. That God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Your every deed prompted by faith. God is at work. It is his power. But we're not to sit back and, and do nothing. We can think if, if God is in, in full control, he doesn't really need us. But we are called to act. This faith is a call to action. James 1 verse 26 tells us that faith without deeds is dead. And we're called to act based not, not on fear or duty or legalism, but based on faith. And there'll be times in our lives where we do need to step out in faith when um, you know that God has to show up or you're in trouble. We see examples of this in scripture, of Abraham leaving his homeland to follow God. And he went going not knowing where God was going to be leading him, but he trusted that God would provide. Or we think of the people of Israel crossing the river Jordan. Joshua 3 verse 13 tells us, as soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters, uh, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what it had been like of uh, the priest standing there with the ark and being told, as soon as you step into the water, the water will stop, the rivers will stop flowing. I don't know about you, but I would have liked it to be the other way around. I would like the waters to have stopped flowing and then I will step in. But often it's not like that with God. When uh, he calls us to press on in faith, he wants us to trust him um, before the waters have stopped flowing. We see the disciples following Jesus. They left their fishing nets, their livelihoods, and went all in with Jesus. Where's God calling you to step out in faith? As through our, our lives, there will be moments where we do need to think, God, if, if you don't show up, then I'm in real trouble. There, there to be moments for that um, in, our, in our lives. The first and biggest is when we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this is the foundation for other deeds of faith. It's trusting ourselves and our eternal future to the living God. 
It's relinquishing, um, of, it's a relinquishing of control and saying to God, you are in charge. You are Lord and King. It's a huge step of trust. But it's the very best thing that we can do. It's something that we're praying for more of, around people turning to him and putting their trust in him for the first time. You might be here this morning, you're exploring that and think, have I actually put my trust in Jesus? Have I said that he is Lord and Savior? If you haven't, we'd love to talk and pray with you later on. We want to see more and more people putting their faith in him week by week. That's the, <coughs> the foundation for other um, steps of faith. And throughout our lives, there'll be those moments where we, we do need to say, God, I'm, I'm trusting you. Think, think back in a number of years ago, back in, in 2002, um, um, we'd... Uh, been married a, a about six months and got asked to go and pastor a church uh, in Putney. And I so said, we've been married about six months. So I just turned 23. And I thought, there's no way that I could do this, to go and pastor a church with all that, that responsibility. Um, it's something that I never even thought or considered. But God said, no, this is, this is something that I have a plan for you. And we had the opportunity there to think, am I going to make a response of, of fear or a response of faith. might be for you, God's calling you to, to step out into something that you feel completely unequipped for and unresourced for. And God is saying, I will provide the resources. I'll provide everything that you need. We're to trust him in those big decisions with our, with our finances, with um, work decisions, with our families. We're to be those who live defined by faith. I wonder where, where is God calling you on that adventure of faith today? We do need to remember this is about God's initiative. Psalm 127 tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Because stepping out of faith isn't just about doing crazy things. God needs to be leading us. God needs to be showing us this is the way to go. We need to spend time with him in prayer and to know his voice. But when God calls, we need to step out in responding those big moments. But we're also praying for more faith in, in the everyday, because this is <laughs> important in everyday life. Eugene Peterson says discipleship is about long obedience in the same direction. Discipleship is about long obedience in the same direction. More faith is also fundamentally about being faithful in the small things, in the day-to-day, in going to work, in paying bills, of time with family, of prioritizing Jesus in our lives. Faith is about putting your trust in Jesus every day, and it's trusting him with the things that you think you can handle without him, which the truth is we can't. We can't handle anything without him. We're to know that we are totally dependent on him. It also means you're in the right place for the bigger steps when they happen less regularly. Because faith is a daily choice of prioritizing Jesus, of what we do with our, our time, with our money, with how we are sharing Jesus with others around us. Our lives are to look different to those around us because they're characterized by more faith. The last thing I want us to, to see before we close is uh, in verse 12. It says, We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for more goodness and more faith so that God can receive more glory. This is, this is our goal. 
Um, again, we mentioned 1 Peter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the ultimate end, the glory of God. Not that we may be praised for our godliness and service. Not saying that someone might come to us and say, you led that life group Bible study really well, or you sang that song really well, or you stewarded really well um, this morning. The aim ultimately is the name is Jesus is, is made known and to bring him praise. Romans 11.36 tells us, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. This is our motivation. Knowing that everything that we have is a gift of grace and we're to be thankful to the one who has given it. So that God is glorified in us, but also Paul is saying that you may be glorified in him. And we can maybe understand Jesus being glorified but what does it mean for believers to be glorified? Well, Romans 8 verse 30 tells us that all who are called will be justified and glorified. That is, they will one day be made perfect and enjoy resurrection bodies and live in the splendor of a new heaven and a new earth. This happens because we are in Christ. We are raised with him and we live in him. Even now, we are being transformed more into his likeness and with ever-increasing glory, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Uh, the author Don Carson says, when we glorify God, we are not giving him something substantial that he would not otherwise have. We're simply ascribing to him what is his. But when we are glorified, we are being made more like him. We are being strengthened or empowered to exhibit characteristics that we would not otherwise display. This glorification does not detract from God's glory, but rather it points to it. And this is all totally down to God's grace available through Jesus. It's not about trying harder, but trusting in the grace of God that is powerfully at work, knowing that we are saved by grace and that we live by grace. We become fruitful by grace, we persevere by grace, and we are to be maturing by grace. And as we're looking for more goodness and more faith, we can only do this as we experience more of his power. Let me just read uh, some familiar words from Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to, weary, to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We cannot do this in our own strength. But by his power and through his grace, all things are possible. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and will see more goodness and more faith. And so today, let's let striving cease and let's let goodness and faith increase and overflow as the grace of God incre increases in us. Because we're dependent every day, every moment. He supplies and he loves to generously bless. So we come to a father who loves to give generously. And as we know him more, we too should be overflowing. If our faith is growing and our love is increasing, we should see that effect in our lives and in our prayers. We should be praying in line with Paul. 
it's, it's good to be praying for people to be happy, healthy, to be passing exams, to be getting that job, but we're also to be praying that they would be living lives worthy of his calling. I wonder when was the last time you prayed that? That someone would live a life worthy of his calling. We're praying for more evidence of his grace and to know that a foundation is God has made us worthy through Christ and we're to live in this right response and that we live in the power that he has given, a daily trust in his call to go in his strength and for his glory, seeking his, his fame and his name's glory above all. Let's stand and respond together. Father God, we thank you that you call us into relationship with you. We thank you that there is incredible community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has existed from before the beginning of time. And we thank you that we get drawn into relationship. We get to enjoy and know the living God. And we thank you that this is all by grace. And so, Lord, I, I pray here today where maybe we m- some may feel um, tired and weary. I pray now that you come by your Spirit that would fix our eyes and our hope in you, the Lord, and that we would know your renewing of strength. We'll soar on wings like eagles. And I pray that today, this week, we will run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not be faint as we seek to see more goodness and more faith. For your glory we pray. Come, Lord.